parable, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Paradigm shift, a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. In other words, a new reality. The parables of Jesus were not just simple stories or teaching illustrations to make a moral or spiritual point. They were meant to disrupt and to provoke the imagination, to invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. His parables upend our notions about life and challenge us to view his kingdom accurately, to not just simply think differently, but to live out a new reality. They are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as in heaven. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as uh, Crystal said, welcome to Grace Church. If we've never met before, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, so thanks again for coming out. Thank you for joining us this morning. And again, we want to welcome those of you who are watching online, wherever it is you're watching from. We're glad that you're with us as well. So as we get started this morning, I want to start by telling you guys a quick story that'll kind of launch us into where we're headed. And so it was probably about 10 years ago now uh, that I was living in a house in Akron, Ohio, and we were, at the time, me and my wife were living with a couple named Zach and Olivia. And one of the things that Zach and I both loved to do at the time was we were really big into fantasy football. And so we were in a league together, and we were in a league with a big group of our friends. So one year, Zach and I decided that we were going to actually switch to, um, to Dish Network, and we were going to pay for NFL Red Zone so that we could be like crazy fans and sit in front of the TV and see like every game and every score and everything that was going on. And we were pretty excited about this, so we decided we were going to do this together. And so we get everything installed, and we test it out during the preseason, and we're getting excited, and we're getting pumped about this. And uh, so we get back from church that first Sunday, right, like it's NFL kickoff weekend. We are pumped. We are excited. We get back from church, and we turn on the TV, only to find that not only is, is uh, NFL Red Zone channel not working, none of the channels are working. Like the entire stream, for whatever reason, has just gone out and has stopped working. And so the day before, everything was fine. Everything worked great. And sure enough, the following day, NFL opening weekend, suddenly everything isn't working. And so I do the thing that all of us dread doing, and I get on the phone, and I, I call into customer service, right? No one's excited about doing that. So I call into customer service. I'm a little bit annoyed at this point. I need to get this fixed. And so I'm talking to the rep from Dish Network, and uh, very quickly they say, well, our system says the problem's not on our end. The problem is on your end. I'm like, of course the problem's on my end. And so they do the thing where they're like, all right, so they make me reset the cable box, and then they have me go outside, and I'm checking the connections at the dish, and it doesn't work, so I come back inside, and they're, they're, they run some more tests, and they're like, yeah, why don't, why don't you reset it one more time? So I reset it again, they're like, hey, can you go back out, and can you recheck the connections again? And right, So we run through this process two or three times, and after all of those things, it continues to not work. And they continue to tell me, um, sir, we, we think the problem is on your end somewhere, right? There, there's something that is, you're doing that's not right. And uh, after a few rounds of this, eventually I kind of start to come to the end of my patience with the customer service rep. And I say, listen, I've, I've done everything you've asked me to do multiple times. Clearly the problem is not on my end. Or like clearly this is something that you guys need to fix. I'm not resetting the box again. I am not going back out to check the connection one more time. And again, I'm starting to get frustrated, and I'm like, at the, at the end of the day, this is not my job to fix this. This is your job to get this fixed. The entire reason we bought all of this from you was for this weekend, and now it's not works. What am I paying for? And then probably in my frustration, I posed this question to the rep. I said, so what are you going to do to make this right for me? And then just like right now, there was a really long, awkward silence 
on the phone, and we just kind of sat there for a moment in this awkward silence, and eventually the rep says, okay. pretty disappointed that like we got all this it's opening weekend we're going to miss out on this first weekend but at the end of the day I left kind of feeling pretty good about myself because at least I felt like I kind of I won the the thing with the customer service rep right like I got something they acknowledged that hey maybe it wasn't just my fault and so we got some free stuff out of it and so I'm feeling okay about it so fast forward a couple days I am outside my yard I don't remember what I was doing but I'm out in my yard and I'm waiting for the customer service rep to finally show up And I'm in my yard when I notice something and suddenly come to the realization that not only is the problem actually on my end, the problem is actually entirely my fault as well. And so the way that it was set up, we had the the dish thing and then the cord is in the back of the, connected to the back of the dish and everything's fine there. And the cord runs along the side of our house behind this large row of bushes. And on the Saturday before the cable went out, I was trimming our hedges and I had hit the cable. And so the reason we had no single was because I had completely sliced through the cable. Like it was literally cut in half with my hedge trimmers, right? And so I come to this realization and what felt like moments later, the service rep now rolls into my driveway and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do, right? And so uh, it was not long after that, that I find myself confessing to this 18 year old kid who's here to fix my cable. And uh, luckily for me, when I was telling him my story, he was like completely uninterested. He's basically, he didn't say this, but he's basically like, dude, I don't care about your story or what happened. So you can keep your, your free HBO. You can keep all the stuff. I, I got other things to do. So, uh, so from this point forward in our life, this is now a joke in our family. And anytime we have to call customer service, my wife's like, you can call them. And why don't you get us some free HBO while you're at it? And so now the reason I tell you that story uh, is because my guess is that all of us can think of a time when we had to admit that our view of something was wrong. That all of us can think of a time when we were absolutely convinced that we were on the right end of the debate only later to realize that we were not and that we needed to completely change how we thought about it. And sometimes we have to change our mind about little things like which direction to put the toilet paper roll on or who left the garage door open. And sometimes we have to change our mind about big things. Sometimes we have to shift not just how we view that decision or that moment, but we need to change how we view the world around us. Sometimes we need to shift our entire paradigm. Now, probably the classic example of a bigger shift, a paradigm shift, is one that Tony's talked about from stage before, and that is that for the majority of human history, humanity believed that the earth was at the center of our solar system. And because they believed the earth was at the center, when they went to do things like chart the movement of the planets, they found it incredibly difficult to do because they had the wrong point of reference. And so when they thought the earth was at the center, this is what their charts looked like. They're like, hey, here's how the planets move. They knew there was a rhythm. They knew there was a cycle to it, but they couldn't quite figure it out. And this was the best they could come up with, right? And you guys know the story. You know how it goes, right? One day, a guy by the name of Copernicus comes along and he says, guys, I I think we got it all wrong. I think we need to change our perspective. I think we need to adjust our thinking. And more than that, I think we need an entirely new paradigm 
through which we view what we now know is our solar system. He says, what if, what if the, instead of the earth being at the center of everything, what if the sun was actually at the center? And when he put the sun at the center, suddenly everything started to make a whole lot more sense, right? Suddenly charting the movement of the planets became incredibly simple. The moment the world adopted a new paradigm through which they viewed the solar system, suddenly everything became so much more clear. And so right now we are kicking off a brand new series that we are calling Paradigm Shift, in which we are going to spend the next six weeks, counting today, working our way through some of Jesus' famous parables. And the reason we decide to call it Paradigm Shift is because that is precisely what Jesus' parables were designed to do. I think for many of us, when we think about the parables, we tend to think of them as cute little stories for kids or simple teaching illustrations designed to help uh, Jesus make a point. But in reality, encased within Jesus' parables were often incredibly disruptive ideas that were meant to completely upend the current mode of thinking and the current operation of how they went about doing things. They were meant not just to enlighten people, but to challenge them and to awaken them to a new reality and a new kingdom that God was ushering in. I love how one author put it. He said it like this. He said, for Jesus, the parables were not used to explain things to people's satisfaction, but to call into question all of their previous explanations and understandings. Far from being illustrations that illuminate what people haven't yet figured out, the parables are designed to pop every circuit breaker in the mind. Mention Messiah, and the disciples pictured an armed king on horseback. Mention forgiveness, and they start setting up rules about when it should run out. From Jesus' point of view, the sooner their misguided minds had the props knocked out from under them, the better. After all their yammer about how God should or shouldn't run his own operation, getting them to just stand there with their eyes popped open and their mouths shut would be a giant step forward. And so before we dive into this series, I feel like I need to appropriately warn you that the parables that we're going to look at by design, they are meant to disrupt and to challenge your current way of thinking. They are designed to mess with you and to bother you and to force you to see the world and the kingdom of God, not from your own perspective, but from God's perspective. And in the first century, these cute little stories led some people to want to follow Jesus more, and they led other people to want to kill him. So, welcome to Medina East. That is where we are headed uh, in this series, and that's where we're headed today. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want you guys to join me in Matthew.
put yourself in the shoes of Jesus's original audience. And so at this point, Jesus has already begun his teaching ministry. And so, for example, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he's already given the famous Sermon on the Mount. And we know that he's already begun performing some miraculous acts at this point, including healing the blind, the lame, and the mute. And so not only have the religious leaders started to take notice of Jesus, the masses, they've started to take notice of him too. And so in this particular day, we're told that because the crowds of people trying to see Jesus are so large that he actually gets into a boat, he gets himself a little bit off of shore so that he has like the perspective to actually talk to everyone at the same time. And then we're told with this massive audience on the edge of their seats, ready to hear from this great rabbi, that this time, instead of teaching them directly as he did in the Sermon on the Mount, that this time he began to teach them in parables. This time he began to teach them in parables. I want you to imagine for a moment that you were one of the people in the audience that day, that you were someone who has heard about this Jesus, maybe you were someone who has traveled a long way to see and hear from this Jesus yourself. And now I want you to imagine that after a long journey and possibly even months of waiting for this moment that Jesus proceeds to tell you this parable and then with no further explanation and no clarification, he simply moves on to the next one, right? Now, because we have the entire gospel of Matthew, we have the explanation to this parable, right? We can look at what it means, but his original audience, they did not, right? This is all they got, and then with no further explanation, Jesus simply moved on. As I was thinking about this, it would be like if you came here for a Christmas Eve service, and Tony got up on stage, and he proceeded to give you this weird, strange, cryptic story about farming, and then at the end of it, he said, well, Merry Christmas, everybody, and then he just sat down, right? Because that's, bas- that's basically what just happened to this audience. And then to make matters worse, Jesus gives one clear command in the entire passage. Uh, it comes in the, uh, it's, well, there's one imperative in the original language, and it comes in the final word of the final verse. Here's what he says. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And that word hear in the original language, it's this word, it's the word akuo, and it means to listen, to understand, and to obey. So Jesus gives the crowd a somewhat cryptic analogy, and then he tells them, whoever has ears, whoever has the ability, I want you to listen, to understand, and to obey. And so as you can imagine, the crowds were probably a little stunned and a little confused by this teaching. And so the disciples, who were also a little confused by all of this, were told that they wait for a break in the action, and then they decide to ask, straight up ask Jesus the question that probably everyone in the audience was thinking, Jesus, what, what's, what's the deal, right? Why, you, normally you talk like straight with people, today you're speaking in parables, like what, what's going on, why the change? And so here's Jesus' response, check out what he says, starting in verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. 
For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is not what I think of when I think of the parables, right? When I think about the parables, again, I think of these cute little stories that make it easier for people to understand the kingdom and to make it easier for them to follow him. But when you read Jesus' response, it seems at first as if he's doing the exact opposite, right? Why do you speak in parables? Well, I do it because it'll make it harder for them to see, because it will make it harder for them to understand, I think this is one of those points that we looked at earlier where our circuit breakers, they start to pop a little bit because this, this picture of Jesus just does not fit into any of our current paradigms. It's so in order to fully understand his response, one of the things you need to know is that Jesus is actually quoting from several places in the Old Testament here. And when Jesus would have quoted from the Old Testament, his audience would not only have immediately recognized the quote, they also would have known the context from which he was quoting. So if I could give you guys a modern day example of this, if I were to say the following quote from a movie, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? Some of you, based on what you just did, some of you immediately know the movie I'm referencing, you know the context, and you can even picture the scene, right? Like you stopped listening to me and you're playing this scene in your head right now. Now for those of you who don't know the context, this quote's all you get. All you know are those words. And if you don't know the context, this quote has the appearance of being very optimistic, right? Oh, good news. We got a chance. Apparently, there's some hope, right? But for those of you who know the reference, right, you know that this quote actually means there is no chance, right? This quote means you have zero hope. And so in the same way, when Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, it is not as simple as just looking at the words. It is super important to understand the context from which the quote was originally given. And so in verse 13, Jesus is referencing a passage actually from Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2, and here's where the quote comes from. Here's what it says. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. And so according to this quote, why does Jesus say he is teaching them in parables? He says it twice. He says, because I am living among a rebellious people, and for they are a rebellious people. Now, Jesus doesn't directly say that, but he absolutely says that. He says the reason he is teaching in parables is because of the condition of the hearts of his audience. We see the exact same thing in verses 14 and 15. And so in the second quote, he is quoting from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 6. And in Isaiah 6, the context of that is that God tells Isaiah to deliver a message to God's people. And this message is a message of judgment because of their unwillingness to listen and to obey. And so God has sent them messenger after messenger after messenger. And they have continued to refuse to listen to God. We clearly see this in verse 15, right? It says, for this people's heart has become calloused, right? God says over time, their hearts have become hard and they have tuned him out and they have stopped listening to his voice in their lives. 
And so if we go back to Matthew 13 and Jesus' current audience, here's what he's saying about them. He says, just like the Israel of old, his current audience, that they are a stubborn people who refuse to listen to. He says, they hear me, but they don't really hear me. And they see me, but they don't really see me, right? Now, if you're someone here, if you're a parent in the room, if you have small children, I think you know exactly what this moment is like, right? So you have this moment where you look at your child and you're like, hey, I need you to stop the thing that you're doing and I need you to go do this. And like, you know they heard you and yet they're still sitting there and nothing has changed, right? They're still staring at the iPad. They're still doing the thing, right? So they heard you and they saw you, but they did not really hear you, right? Did they listen? Well, they heard it, but they're not listening. And this is what Jesus is saying. And so on the one hand, the crowds of people are showing up to hear Jesus speak, right? They're literally coming out in droves to see him. But the question is why? What are they looking for? What are they hoping to hear or see? And what expectations or paradigms might they be bringing with them on that day? As I was thinking about this last week, I I can imagine that some people probably went to see him and they had maybe a political agenda in mind. And so maybe there was a political activist in the audience and they showed up with hopes and expectations that Jesus was going to do something or say something that would rally people to overthrow the Roman government, right? And if he did that, they were ready to get behind him and support them and I'm pro-Jesus, I'm going to cast my vote with him, right? Like they were ready to get behind Jesus and this thing that he was doing, But when Jesus didn't do that, and when instead he started talking about things like loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute you, right? I imagine they started to tune them out. And that even though they heard the teachings of Jesus, it just kind of became like background noise in their lives. I have to imagine there were others who came to see Jesus because they wanted to see his miracles, right? Like, do another miracle for me, Jesus. Show me your power, and then maybe... I'll get on board with some of this other stuff that you're saying. And although he did perform many miracles, he didn't always do them. And in Luke 11, we have a story where the people are praising and blessing Jesus for his miracles. And his response to them is to say, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And he basically says, because you refuse to listen, you don't get any more miracles from me. And instead of catering to the people's needs or begging these people to stay, Jesus seems completely willing and content to just let people walk away. Right, like if this were modern times, we'd look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you have a horrible church growth strategy, right? Instead of giving them this teaching that would draw them in, Jesus decides to give them parables. He decides to make them work a little bit harder to find the meaning. And to those with other motives and other agendas, it would cause them to further check out and further be disinterested. But to others, to those who are genuinely seeking, it would arouse a curiosity and it would cause them to lean in even more and to say and to think things like, man, I, I gotta find out what he meant by that. Or maybe they're listening, they're like, man, what Jesus just said, that is so radically different than the way that I think, right? That is a completely countercultural way of thinking. And instead of just being like, ah, that's crazy stuff, they're like, man, I need to find out more about that. For some, it would push them away. 
And for others, their curiosity would be aroused and it would cause them to lean in. This is exactly what we see the disciples doing in this passage, right? They're as confused by why he's teaching this way as everyone else. And instead of just checking out, like, I don't know, Jesus is doing crazy stuff, right? They lean in and they ask him, they say, Jesus, this is not how we think. This is not what we would have done. Why are you doing this way? Right, they are willing to set aside their paradigm and they're generally interested in God. Why, why are you doing it this way? Like how one commentator put it, he said it like this. He said, direct communication is important for conveying information, but learning is more than information intake, especially if the learner is someone who already thinks they understand. People entrenched in their current understanding set their defenses against direct communication and end up conforming the message into the channels of their current understanding of reality. But indirect communication finds a way in through the back window to confront a person's, a person's view of reality. A parable's ultimate aim is to draw in the listener to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience, and to move to action. Jesus' parables are prophetic instruments used to get God's people to stop, reconsider their way of viewing reality, and to change their behavior. And so why did Jesus speak to them in parables? Jesus says it is because of the condition of their hearts, because they are a stubborn people who refuse to listen, to understand, and to obey. And so after he explains his reasoning to the disciples, he then goes on to explain the actual parable to them. But remember, this part of the conversation we're told is only between Jesus and his disciples. The masses, they do not get this explanation. And the irony of all of this is that the parable that they choose, chose to tune out is ironically all about their ability and their unwillingness to listen and to hear. So here's Jesus' explanation of the parable, starting in verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so as Jesus starts to explain the parable, there are two things that we immediately learn about the parable. The first thing we learn is that in the parable, the seed represents the message about the kingdom or the word of God, right? The seed represents the message about the kingdom or the word of God. And the second thing that we learn is that the soil represents different people and how they choose to respond to that message. Now, interestingly enough, we are told nothing about the sower, and I don't actually think that's by accident. I think that is intentional because the sower is not the issue. It doesn't matter who the sower is or what the sower is like because that is not where the problem lies. In fact, one of the points of this parable is that there is nothing wrong with the sower and there is nothing wrong with the seed. The difference, or the problem, if you will, lies entirely with the soil or with the recipients of the message and in their unwillingness and inability to hear, right? Just like me and my cable issues, Jesus says, the problem is not on my end, 
The problem is entirely on your end. And because that is where the problem lies, Jesus goes on to break down the soil into four, or break it down into four different types of soil or people or listeners, right? So the first type of soil or person, we're told it is represented by the path, right? And the path, according to Jesus, the soil represents people who hear the message, but they never understand it. It's people who receive the seed, but the seed never gets in. And in many ways, this represents the very reason that Jesus is teaching in parables in the first place. Because many people have hardened their hearts and they are not truly interested in the message Jesus has to offer. Right? There are many people who have pre-decided that Jesus is not for them. And so it doesn't really matter what his message is because they aren't really listening to it anyway. And my guess is most of us in this room, we can either think of someone who falls into this category or we can think back to a time in our life when we were in this category, right? Where we had closed our minds and closed our ears to the message of Jesus. The second type of soil or person is represented by rocky ground. And then uh, in, soil, in shallow soil conditions like this, uh, plants can grow and they can even grow quickly as long as there is sufficient water. But because their roots can't go down deep, as soon as it gets hot or conditions get a little bit difficult, those plants will normally wither and die. According to Jesus, this represents people who might be initially interested in the message, perhaps maybe for what they can get out of it. But as soon as adversity comes their way, the moment following Jesus becomes a little bit difficult or there's any kind of adversity, the moment it's gonna cost them something, he says usually those people don't last. And I, unfortunately, I know a lot of people we have a story like this. People who grew up in church and back when they were a kid, they went, to, they went to this camp and they got all excited about God, but then they went back to school and they realized that following Jesus, it might, it might cost them some things. Maybe it might cost them their boyfriend or their girlfriend, or it might cost them socially, or it might interfere with their sports schedules. And as quickly as they were interested in Jesus, now they suddenly lose interest. And because they were never rooted, it doesn't take a whole lot to pull them away. And again, for some of you, when you look back, that was your story, right? You grew up doing the church thing. You did that most of your life. But then you went off to college. You lost interest in God. And it was not until years later that you finally opened up your ears and your mind to the message of Christ. The third type of person Jesus described is like ground covered in thorns, right? You guys can picture a garden with just like weeds and thorns growing everywhere. This person, like the second one, they received the seed now, as, as one who receives the seed, they're open to the message of Jesus. But at the same time, they're open to this message of Jesus. Their life is still dominated by worldly concerns and desires. In the same way, overgrown weeds, they can steal the nutrients and kind of suck the life out of the plants around them. Jesus says in the same way, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, those things, they can choke out a person's spiritual growth as well. And I would say of all the soil types, this, I think this is perhaps the one that I find the most scary because I think it is so easy for us to allow these things to creep into our lives without us even realizing it. I think it is so easy to deceive ourselves and to think we are good and to think we are okay when in reality, we're not. And we're only experiencing a fraction of the life that God has for us. And according to Jesus, when we give these worries and these concerns, when we give them too much real estate in our lives, when we spend more time thinking about those things than we do God's word, the result is that they can end up choking out our spiritual life, 
right? It says that we are like apple trees without the ability to produce apples. And then finally, the fourth type of soil is the good soil, right? The good soil. This represents the person who can, it's that word, it's that akuo. It's someone who listens, who understands, and who obeys God's word in their life. And the result is the life of real transformation. It is real spiritual growth, and not only are they someone who can take in God's word, but they actually become someone who is a sower of God's word into the lives of others, right? Their life becomes one of multiplication. And so as we consider Jesus' parable and his explanation of it, I think there are a couple of questions this parable invites us to ask, right? The first question is the obvious question that all of us have been thinking, and it's this. It's which type of soil are you? Right? What, what type of soil am I? Now that you hear Jesus' words, you hear his explanation of the parable, when it comes to your ability to listen, to understand, and to obey God's word, how are you doing? How are you doing at that? Are you someone who, like maybe many of the people in his crowd, do you come to Jesus with an agenda that you hope he will fulfill? And if Jesus doesn't say the thing you want, are you out? Or do you come with open ears to hear whatever it is that Jesus wants to tell you? Are you willing to let Jesus speak into areas of your life where you disagree with him? Maybe things like sex or gender or money or forgiveness or politics or fill in the blank with a thing that just came into your mind. But it is easy to follow Jesus in the areas where you already agree with him. But are you willing to allow Jesus to change your paradigm in the areas of your life where you disagree? Because remember, Jesus says, if you don't like my teaching, if you don't understand this, if it doesn't make sense to you, the problem Jesus says, the problem is not on my end. The problem is on your end because you have the wrong paradigm. Maybe it's a paradigm that you were taught from your your family growing up. Maybe it's one you got at school. Maybe you got it from a friend or a coach who knows where it came from. But he says, if you're not getting this, then you you are thinking through the wrong lens and you have the wrong paradigm. Are you willing to genuinely hear what I am trying to tell you? How about this? Does it matter who the sower is to you? Are you someone who is tempted to skip church if your favorite teacher isn't on? Or are you someone coming to hear from the word of God? Because I can assure you that uh, one of those two is infinitely smarter than the other, and it's not us. How about this? Are you someone who can actually consume God's word on your own? If this is all about your ability and your willingness and your desire to hear, is that something, do you, do you actually open up the Bible on your own at home? Do you crave it? Do you seek it? Do you go to it? Or are settings like this the only time you ever expose yourself to it? Do you share God's word with others? Right, I, I think some of you, right, we're all asking the question, am I the good soil, right? That's what everyone is thinking and hoping, like, am I the good soil, right? I think it's a fair question. I think many of you probably are, good soil. But if you think you're in that category, I would just give you one challenge, and that is to consider the fact that this parable only gives one distinguishing mark for good soil. And the marker of good soil that this parable gives us is that it produces a crop that is 30, 60, or 100 times what is sown. And so if you never share God's word with others, if you have no evidence of any form of multiplication in your life, then I think it's fair to ask yourself if maybe 
Maybe you're not actually the good soil after all. I know for me personally, as I was thinking through this very question this week, God, what soil am I? Help me be honest about this. I think I can confidently say that uh, by God's grace, I am not soil number one, right? Uh, I obviously, I would not be standing on stage if I was completely rejecting God's word. So it's something I'm attempting to accept into my life and to follow after. Uh, I think I can also say that uh, I am, by the test of time, has shown me that I am not number two. I've been following Jesus for a while, and I've had some, some good times, and I've had some hard times, and I'm, I'm still attempting to follow him, so I, I think I can say I'm not m- number two. But then I came to number three, and if I'm honest, number three started to make me a little nervous. Well, I want to be transparent with you, and I, I think that there are times where I feel myself being pulled and drawn in the direction of the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life, right? When I think about number three, I think to myself, man, be careful. Right? I'm like, oh, man, I got to stay on my guard for weeds. And if any of you, if you ever had a garden, you know that you can clear every single weed from your garden. And somehow you can wake up the next morning and there's like 10 more that just showed up overnight. And you're like, you're annoyed. And how did they get here, right? Weeds are... They are sneaky and they are annoyingly persistent like that. And I think the same thing is true of wealth and the worries of this life, that right, you can be doing great and then just like that, without you even realizing it, these things have snuck back into your life. And the next thing you know, your faith is suffering and I know for a fact that I have been there. I don't wish this to be true, but there have been seasons of my life where unfortunately that has absolutely been true of me. So I think the first question that we need to ask ourselves is the obvious one. It's which type of soil are you? Just honest assessment with yourself, where am I currently at? Which leads to the second, and what I think is by far the more important question. So with that, I'm gonna invite the band back up. But here's the second question, the one that I think is far more important. It's this. It's which type of soil do you want to be? Which type of soil do you wanna be? Because listen, the point of the parable is not, hey, this is the type of soil you are, and if you're not number four, then tough luck. Right? It's not like, ooh, you're, you're soil number two. I'm so sorry, but the future does not look good for you. Right? Like that's, that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is the charge and the challenge to akuo. It is to listen, to understand, and to obey. It's that you, you get to decide how you will respond to God's word. And here's the deal. You get to make that choice every single time you encounter it. Every time you hear it, every time you read it, every time you listen to a teaching on it, every single time you get to decide in that moment how you will respond. I love how the author of the book of Hebrews put it. He said it like this. He said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, right? Don't worry about last year or last month or even last week. He says, today, in this moment, in this decision, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I think the ultimate question this parable is asking is not which type of soil are you? I think that's an important question. I think it is good to assess reality of where you currently are at. But I think the ultimate question that this parable is asking is which type of soil do you want to be? Are you someone who is willing to listen, to understand, and to obey?
and your willingness and your ability to do that, it will change everything for you spiritually. And your ability to do that is something that we're gonna put you to the test to over the next five weeks as we continue to dive into more of Jesus' parables. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. And we are incredibly grateful that you give us your word, that you have spoken life and uh, truth into our, into our lives. You've given us access to it. So God, I, I pray that for all of us that you would, uh, you would humble us, um, that you would allow us to be willing to, to have our minds and our thoughts changed, that maybe to see things in ways that we, we don't normally think or don't normally see or that go against the grain of how we've been raised or how we've been taught our entire lives. God, would you open us to, to be good soil who are simply responsive to you. God, I ask for your grace and your mercy in our lives in the moments when we, like small children, where we hear you and we just sit there and we do nothing. God, would you, would you be gracious with us? Would you continue to speak to us? Would you continue to call to us even in the moments when we are stubborn and we ignore? God, we are so grateful for you and your son and the ways that you have shown up in our lives and that you don't ignore us. So Father, we love you, we thank you, we ask for your help in all of these things. It's in your son's name, amen.